Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Would you please uh, take your Bibles, and I want you to just put your finger in two locations. If I give you just kind of two different segments, everything that we're going to look at today will be found in these two different locations. If you go to Romans chapter 12 and put your finger there and 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 12, 13, and 14, but right there in the middle, chapter 13, and be able to refer to that quickly, you'll be able to follow along all the verses that we will look at this morning. We are continuing our study, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. We've come to the 12th chapter and the 6th verse. What Paul has been doing in this 12th chapter is that he has been giving us the application of the truth of the first 11 chapters. The truth about Jesus Christ and what God has done by His mercy in the person the God-man, Jesus Christ, to make atonement for sin, make it possible for us to be in a direct, intimate relationship with God, all grace, all unmerited to those who are sinners and deserved His wrath. And the 12th chapter opens with, Paul's admonition that the only right response is that we would live lives of worship to God based upon what He's done for us in Jesus. That really our lives, our day-to-day actions and thoughts, motives, desires, would be done as an act of worship to the Lord. And the way that we can live out worship day to day, is that we need to be in the process of being transformed, Romans 12 verse 2. And the way that we're transformed is by the renewing of our minds, by taking the truth of the Word of God into our lives and prayerfully having an intake of the Word and asking the Spirit of God to change us through that Word. And the Spirit does that work of transformation in the people of God through the Word of God to make us like the Son of God for the glory of God. So that instead of living according to the ways of the world, being conformed to the ways of the world, we're transformed. And then in verses 4 and 5 of the 12th chapter, he talks about the church is the body of Christ. You see, what we need to do, verse 2, is have our minds renewed with truth. And so where he begins in that mind-renewing, life-transforming process is that he tells us we need to think right about ourselves as followers of Christ and about where we fit and how we function within the church of the living God, which is the body of Christ. 
that everyone that is truly saved is a part of the body and everyone that is a part of the body is a member of the body and every member has a function to perform within the body. So that the growth and the health of the body is incumbent upon the individual members doing what they were designed by God and placed within the body by God to do. So the subject is about spiritual gifts that identify where we fit in the body. It's an important subject. It's critical to the life and the health and the growth of the church. It's where Paul begins as he admonishes us in practical living. He starts with the church and the role and function that we play in the church. And he comes to verse 6 that we're going to look at today, and he writes these words. Romans 12, verse 6, referring to the people of God, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And the first gift that he mentions in the last half of verse 6 is prophecy. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. He's going to mention several others in the next two verses But we're just going to center in here on verse 6. And the first thing that I want to do is just make a few general comments about spiritual gifts, specifically how to discover what your spiritual gifts are or gift is. And I'm going to draw this by way of implication from verses 1 through 5. It's not going to explicitly say this in verse 6, but we should be able to see the emphasis that Paul is writing here, inspired by the Spirit, saying that we have different gifts and telling us we need to use them. So the implication there is we need to discover what they are, that it's critical to the life of the church so that we need to find out what our gifts is and make sure that we are using them in the body of Christ for the blessing and health of the body and the glory of God. So how do we discover what our gifts are? Well, let me just state them one by one, just two reasons. First one is this. I believe that the spiritual gift or gifts that you have will show themselves. I believe God has designed it so that your gifts will reveal themselves. You have natural abilities, talents, and those reveal themselves as you live life. True? They just become apparent. And the longer that you live and the more that you mature, you discover what those are. It's kind of a process of self-discovery and how you're wired and put together just physical talents and skills. Same thing is true, I believe, spiritually. 
And I think the emphasis is not so much to be on what is my gift, but the emphasis is to be on living in the way that God wants me to live, seeking to know Him and engage in the life of His church. And as that happens, then I believe the gift will in time reveal itself. So that's the qualifier. I think the qualifier is verses 1 to 5. And what are verses 1 to 5? Sell out for God. Because of what He's done for you, sell out. Make it your desire to live a life in worship to God and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, an ongoing process of transformation where you're humbly before the Lord in the Word, asking the Spirit to take the Word and conform your life into a growing likeness of the person of Jesus Christ and then Verses 4 and 5, be united to the body. You are united spiritually, but live like it. Be connected. Be in close proximity with and fellowship with the body. Living out that unity that is yours. You see, if I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, what are we? We're united. We're together. We're connected to one another. There's one Christ. So, The reality of our unity is a spiritual truth that is to be expressed visibly and practically as we live in the church. And then it also says in verse 5 that not only are we united, but we're diverse. We're unique. And we're not to just be cookie cutters as Christians, but we're to be individuals like Christ has made us to be not just physically, but spiritually. And the use of the diversity of gifts is what enables the body to function and perform as it should in health, just like your body has many members. All those members need to do their various functions so that the body is productive and is in health. The same is true in the church. So the set up for this discovery of the gifts and them revealing or making themselves known is as you do what it says in the first five verses, then there is going to be a a revelation. There's going to be insight given and the gift that or gifts that the Spirit of God has given to you will be revealed. And here's another way that they'll be revealed as you do those things. They'll be affirmed, noticed, called out, identified by the church. By the church. It says in verse 5 that we are individually members one of another. There's a sense in which you belong to me and I belong to you as fellow children of God in the church, that your gift is not yours, it's part mine. My gift is not mine, it's for you. And what happens is when we use those gifts, remember what we talked about happens in the use of a spiritual gift, that what it becomes is a channel or a conduit for the grace of God, the varied forms of the grace of God to go from God and flow through those gifts into the lives of other people who God uses specific 
aspects of his grace to flow through that gift to meet specific needs in the world. So it's as we use our gifts that the varied aspects of the grace of God flow through those gifts to meet the varied needs and situations in the people that we are around. So if we're living in community and we are living in connection to the body like we should, what will happen is there'll be an affirmation. As we live that out, people will be affirming, man, you minister to me in this way. You encourage me in this way. There will be an affirming by the body of the gifts if you are walking out the truth of verses 1 to 5. Now let me just give you one example to that. I was reading, you know, sometimes, I think this works both ways. Sometimes we want to have gifts, kind of in our flesh, we see gifts that we think are, you know, the cool gifts, right? We want to have those. And we at times can even try to convince ourselves that we do and try to exercise those. And if they're not our gifts, what we'll find over time is that there is a message that comes through if we'll be attentive that it's not a gift of ours because it's not accomplishing the building up of other people. But the positive aspect of that is true. And at times, the positive aspect is true when you don't even want the gift that you've got. You know, that's true. I mean, that was my story, and I'm sticking to it, right? That was my story. But I want to use the story of a very famous individual, a name that many of you will know from church history, that his story was that he's very reluctant and did not want the gift that God had given to him, but this gift was given in spades. His name was George Whitfield, probably considered by most to be the most famous preacher of the 18th century, the man that God used in the Great Awakening in such a profound way as the revival that took place there swept across two continents and changed two continents. George Whitfield was an would preach in the open air on uh, many occasions. No public address system in the 1700s. But he would speak to thousands upon thousands of people in the open air. At one point, it said that approximately 30,000 people came to this one location when he was preaching outdoors and heard him preach. And God moved in a mighty way. Let me read an excerpt to you from the last message that George Whitfield preached. End of his ministry, he's reflecting upon the call of God for him to preach and what he felt about that gift and that call. He writes, I never prayed against any corruption I had in my life as much as I did against accepting the call to preach. Never did I 
get so adamant about praying over sin that I had as I was adamant and fervent when I was fighting against the gifting and the call of God to preach. My friends were for having me go to become a preacher. And the bishop was pleased to honor me in that way. But God knows how deep a concern I had about entering into the ministry of preaching. He says, I prayed a thousand times till sweat dropped from my face like rain that God of his infinite mercy would not let me enter the church before he called me to do that. He says, I remember praying, wrestling, and striving with God. I said, I am undone. I am unfit to preach thy great name. Send me not. Pray, Lord, send me not. And then he says, I wrote to all my friends in town and in the country, and I asked them to pray against the bishop's call for me to preach. He was marshalling everybody he knew, saying, pray that I would be able to get out of this calling to preach. But he goes on to say, they, my friends, insisted that I should begin the ministry of preaching and that before I reached the age of 22. You see, here was a man that was reluctant, that didn't want the gift of preaching, but God in his sovereign dispensation of the gifts determined to use Mr. Whitfield in that way and his life is a testimony to the fact and the church helped call that out of him. So a few of the ways that we discover what our spiritual giftings are is as we do what it says to do in Romans 12, 1 through 5, in the midst of that, the gift will reveal itself and the church will affirm that gift. But now what I want to do is I just want to focus in on the gift that is mentioned in verse 6 of the 12th chapter. The one gift. I'm going to read the verse again. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. The gift of prophecy. Now, what Paul does not do here in Romans chapter 12 is to go into detail defining and teaching about that gift. So, in order to understand that, we're going to need to go elsewhere in Scripture. That's the second location I wanted you to put a finger in. So, if you would turn over to 1 Corinthians around chapter 12, 13, and 14, there is a long set of teaching here that involves, in part, the gift of prophecy. So we're going to look there to try to get an understanding of what this gift is. Begin, let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, right at the end of the chapter. Here's what Paul writes. 
but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Gifts are not all the same. His emphasis here is that there are some gifts that are higher than others. We don't know what that means yet from this text, but just notice that he says that. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he launches into the 13th chapter. And the 13th chapter is all about love. And so the emphasis here is earnestly desire the higher gifts. And now I'm going to show you how to exercise those and how to discover and flesh those out in life. And he launches into this incredible chapter, the 13th chapter on love. But notice the strong language he uses there in the 31st verse. He says, earnestly desire. That means to intensely desire. Now why would Paul tell us to intensely desire the higher gifts and what are those or does he identify what at least one of those are? Go to the 14th chapter, verse 1, and he's going to now identify a higher gift after he completes the chapter on love Chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So here again is this admonition to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and specifically he identifies a higher gift as being the gift of prophecy. So what is it about the gift of prophecy that Paul makes this strong emphasis that we are to intensely desire it? Why does he say that about this gift? Well, I think if we look at the context on either side and keep it in view that we'll get an answer. So the pretext, what precedes it, is this treatment about love. That the greatest use of life is love. So the point that Paul is making, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, just flip over there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 13, 2, he says in this chapter on love, and if I have the if I have prophetic powers, there's a gift. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. That's some exceptional gifts there. Prophetic powers, understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and have such great faith that I can remove mountains, say to this mountain, be moved or cast yourself into the sea, and I don't do that in love that's absolutely worthless. So pretext is that all of the gifts, the higher gifts, prophecy, and any other gift, 
They're going to be meaningless unless they're used in love. And here's the post-text. What immediately follows? Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. The second half of verse 3. To the one who prophesies, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, the second half of verse 4, the one who prophesies builds up the church. If you look at verse 5 and verse 6 in verse 19, all three of those verses identify the same thing, that the gift of prophecy is a gift that brings great encouragement or building up in the life of the church. So if you put the pretext and the post-text together around chapter 14, verse 1, we can get an idea of why Paul emphasizes prophecy as the gift that we are to intensely desire. And the reason is this. If you are living in love, love longs for the benefit and the blessing of others. Love wants to bring the greatest good. And prophecy post-text is a gift that brings a great amount of good to the body, to the upbuilding of the church, so that the reason we are to intensely desire the gift of prophecy is because that's the gift that's going to bring an incredible blessing upbuilding, encouragement, consolation, impact to the life of the church. It's not that the gift in itself is inherently more valuable. It's valuable in how it impacts others. Therefore, earnestly desire, intensely desire the gift of prophecy because that gift is a greater gift a higher gift in that it has greater impact on the upbuilding of the body of Christ, the church. So that's two truths then about prophecy. Number one, we are called here by Paul, or at least those Paul is writing to, are called to intensely desire the greater gift of prophecy. And secondly, that the reason prophecy is a greater gift is because it has a greater impact on the body. Two truths. Let's look at a third related to prophecy. Verses 24 and 25. Paul is continuing teaching about this gift of prophecy. And in chapter 14, verses 24 and 25, he just kind of paints a picture to illustrate a truth here about prophecy. He says, but if all, talking about all in the church, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he, the one that enters, is convicted by all He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Do you see what's happening here? Paul is teaching that the gift of prophecy is some insider word or truth that is given by God, uh, information that is made known by God that actually goes right to the very secret places of the heart here in verse 25, and it reveals what couldn't be known by man. It makes a disclosure, and what happens in that? 
as that is proclaimed, what it says is that it brings conviction. And what is the goal? It's not to shame. It's not to shame, but to bring conviction that leads that individual to recognize God and to end up worshiping Him. Do you see that in verse 25? The secret of the hearts are disclosed and falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Why? He knows that had to happen because God did it. Because nobody could have known it. That was a work of God. So, the idea here, in part, is there's a revelation given. There is an insight given to the one with the gift of prophecy in that moment that they're shown something that they didn't know. But let's get a little more information about that revelation. Look at verses 29 to 31. He goes on. Listen to this picture. Boy, there's a lot of truth here. I'm not going to bring it all out, but there's a Great amount of truth, important truth here about the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 to 31. Let two or three prophets speak. He's talking about in the church. And let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. So here's a picture. There's a couple of prophets here and one is speaking. And then while that one is speaking, what happens to the other? A revelation is made to the other. God shows that prophet in the moment an immediate truth, gives that prophet an immediate word, a revelation that is from God dropped into their mind so that they know what they couldn't know. And the idea there is, when that happens, it's not an uncontrollable situation. There's to be a waiting until the first prophet is done, then the second prophet says what God has revealed. So here's the truth here about prophecy taken from those few verses. Prophecy is an immediate revelation from the Holy Spirit. It's an immediate revelation from the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me give you a contrast to make that a little clearer. I think one of the ways to clarify that is to show how the gift of prophecy is distinguished from the gift of teaching or preaching, because there are some differences. So, when I get up in front of you, and with the gift of the Holy Spirit, preach or teach. Here's what is a part of that process. I don't, I'm sure that none of you think this is true, but I don't just walk up here on Sunday morning, and as I'm walking up to the stage, say, oh God, okay, I'm ready now, just tell me whatever I need to say, and I just get up here unprepared, and I just kind of extemporaneously just kind of go, and there it comes out. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. That is, that is, polar to what I do. I'm getting inspired Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday night as I study and I look at truth and I think and I process and I 
lay out and I try to formulate and I try to write down and organize and make sure that it's clear and prepare it and write a manuscript out so I make sure that I'm thinking through it clearly and using Scripture accurately and doing the study that's involved in that. Is that a word from God? Absolutely, it's a word from God. It's God's word that his spirit over that process of work and study and prayer reveals truth from his word that's different than an immediate download. Now, there are times when the preacher slash teacher can be preaching slash teaching and then all of a sudden be prophesying. That while they are proclaiming the truth that they've been studying and have prepared and have outlined and have thought through in the midst of that, in the moment, there is an immediate download of God where new insight is given that they had not studied. They had not prepared. Now, that's happened to me a few times. And when I see a few, I really mean just a few. I've been preaching for 20 years and it's happened a few times. I don't, so I'm, I don't know that I walk in the gift of prophecy um, often. But I have been aware a few times. So the idea here brought out by this distinction between preaching slash teaching is that the gift of prophecy is an immediate revelation given by the Spirit of God that speaks or reveals truth to that mind, the one that has that gift to speak into a certain situation to a group of people or to an individual that is information that they could not have known, had not studied. It's just a revelation of truth that either convicts or builds up or encourages or consoles. But the idea is that it builds up the church. It has a positive impact to the growth and blessing of those that hear it. So prophecy is to be intensely desired. Prophecy is one of the greater gifts in that it has a greater impact on the body of Christ, the church. Number three, prophecy is an immediate revelation given by the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 29 again, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. What are they supposed to do? What's the word? They're supposed to weigh it. They're supposed to test it. Let me draw an implication from that that will give some information and insight about the gift of prophecy. It's this. Prophecy, the gift of prophecy is not inerrant. The gift of prophecy is to be weighed against something, checked against something. Now that's different than the way that the apostles taught. The teaching and the written communication of the apostles, they were enabled by the Spirit to teach and to write truth, foundational truth for the church, interpreting the life and the teachings of Jesus in an inerrant way, without 
human error. That is a deep conviction that I have, that we as elders have. We believe that in this Word of God, in its original manuscripts, autographs, they are inherent documents because the Spirit of God so superintended those apostles and those that they spoke to and communicated truth to that wrote it down so that it was done without error. That's not true always of prophecy. Prophecy is subservient to that. It doesn't have that same claim as it's used here in the New Testament. And verses 37 to 38 bring that out. Look closely at verse 37 to 38. So Paul has said, talked about this gift of prophecy and how to use it. And then he says in verses 37 and 38 of the 14th chapter, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, what I'm saying is directly from Jesus. That trumps everything else. That's inerrant. Jesus is without error. And he's saying that the gift that he has as an apostle and his teaching and his communication was a gift of inerrancy that prophecy should be checked with what has been given by the apostles. In other words, the truth that has been once and for all delivered is truth The foundational truth given by the apostles is foundational truth and all other truth that comes down the pike has got to be checked with that truth. That truth is never going to change. It was given just as God wanted it to be given so all other insight that comes needs to be measured against that rule and that standard. Does that make sense? So prophecy is not an errant or equal to the Scriptures as is used here in the New Testament. Now let me just give you a sidebar and then tell you where we're going next week. Kind of the sidebar, a little extra bonus truth from verses 32 to 33 of the 14th chapter. After saying that if two prophets are there and one speaking and another gets a revelation, then the first speaker finishes, the second speaker then speaks out the prophecy. And then in verse 32 and 33, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So what he says here, let me just give an implication here. What he says here is he gives a truth about God. And he says this truth about God is to govern over the use of the gift of prophecy, but not just what I want to show you. It's not just prophecy. Who do all the gifts come from? They come from God. And so this truth about God is to govern all the gifts 
that are given. And the truth is this, God is a God of peace, not a God of confusion. Here's the implication. No use of any spiritual gift should bring confusion and pandemonium. It should be done in order and in peace because they are all from God and God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of peace. And then he comes back to the very, at the very end of the chapter and he says that basically that same truth. So the point is here in the manifestations of the Spirit that are from God, they will not, when they are being used as God wants them to be used, they are not going to be a time of great confusion and chaos and pandemonium. I've been in settings where those with the exercising what were called spiritual gifts, it was pandemonium. It was difficult to hear anything while preaching and the gospel was being shared. Now, uh, I'm just trying to provide a balanced view. Uh, I believe in these gifts, the supernatural gifts, but we need to take all of Scripture and what Scripture seems to clearly communicate here is that all exercise of the gifts comes from and is under the sovereign superintendence of the God who's a God of peace, not confusion. So what we're going to do next week is that we are then going to answer the question that I've already hinted at, And the question is this, is the gift of prophecy still given by the Holy Spirit today? And in a wider sense, are the miraculous gifts, there's a package of gifts that are called the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts, are they still for today or have they, as one segment of the evangelical church believes, died out with the canonization of Scripture so that we no longer need them now that we have the full sufficiency of the Word of God. I'm going to do my best to give you the biblical evidence and maybe some historical evidence uh, next week to show you that I believe that the miraculous gifts, the sign gifts are still gifts that the Spirit gives today. Now, I am aware of this. As I close, I know that not everybody in here probably has agreed with what I preached this morning. And I just want you to know, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I hope you are okay with that. I'm just doing my best. I'm not claiming inerrancy. I I am not claiming inerrancy here. This is an opinion that I've arrived at through a lot of study, but I'm a frail person. I'm a broken person sinful person. I believe it's truth to the best of my ability to communicate it. But if you don't believe that, I don't think you need to pick up your toys and go home, right? I think love is to condition all the use of the gifts and that we can disagree about certain things and still be in fellowship because we're already one. We're united, right? If you're in Christ and I am, we're united. And so I'm hoping that it'll just be a challenge if you have not heard that before, you've never considered that truth. I'm just asking you to prayerfully look into the Word and test it. See if it is true, if the Word bears it out. Let that be your authority. 
Would you please stand? Let me just close us in a word of prayer here. Father, I don't claim to know all that your Spirit is doing here, but I even just heard after the first service, this is a getting ready to preach this. I'm thinking, wow, this is a, it's a hard message to preach. How's it going to help and impact people? And yet I had a few different individuals just come up and say that as that was being preached, God just burst some things, spoke some things into some lives, gave some recognition of giftings. So I, I'm just trusting in the sovereign superintendence of your spirit and the gift of preaching to take a subject like this about the sovereign dis- dispensing of the gift of prophecy and use it according to your will. Do it for your glory, Lord. This is a gift that we are to intensely desire because of its impact in the life of the church. And if it is a gift that is still available for today, then it's pretty important in light of that that those with this gift are using it in proportion to their faith. So God, I just pray your Spirit would call that out of them. and Church would be blessed and you'd be glorified in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, amen.